Jesus. You can be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Again, we are so thankful that you are here for Bible study tonight. God is here and he is working, and um, I'm believing that these have just again been an encouragement to you all. Um, last week, again, I, I didn't want it to be any sort of condemnation for anybody, but I wanted it to be an encouragement um, to help us excel in the things of God. And so um, that's what I'm just praying that all of these are for all of you all. Um, none of us has these things down pat. Um, I don't have it down uh, standing behind this platform. I don't have um, the answers to everything and all that sort of stuff, but we know the one who does. And so we can teach that way. We can uh, preach his word and speak his, his thoughts and his ideas because ultimately that's what people uh, truly need in Jesus' name. And so um, Sister Carnahan, real quick, sorry to interrupt you, but um, Romans 4 and 13, I'm going to start earlier on than what's in the slides. So um, just whenever you get it up there. But Romans 4 and 13, I'm going to start earlier than what's on the screen. But while she's doing that, I just uh, wanted to quickly testify about uh, some things that God is doing in, in the midst of this turmoil and protests and things around our country. Um, the, the place where George Floyd uh, died, and it's unfortunate, we don't want to make light of that situation by any means, but the place where he died, um, a preacher named Victor Jackson, who has kind of became a voice for uh, the UPC in different areas, he uh, has went there in the midst of the protest, and uh, he has been proclaiming Jesus' name to these people. He is not holding back uh, speaking to this group of people there. He is totally telling them uh, that Jesus is the answer and that they need to be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost. And um, you can see videos on Facebook of him doing this. And uh, he started about two or three weeks ago in the midst of those protests. It's really cool that he is out there um, proclaiming the word of God in the midst of that. And then yesterday, um, I saw videos of them baptizing people in that very same spot where they brought a horse tank um, where, where that death happened, and they are baptizing people in Jesus' name uh, in the, the midst of that. So, you know, it, it's really quite cool how God can take something so, so much turmoil and really begin to make light out of it in Jesus' name. And so I'm not going to get politicized or stand on either side, but absolutely, you know, that's, it's neat when God begins to come in and says, there are no politics here. Uh, Jesus' name baptism is the only way, uh, that sort of thing. There is no politicalness in that. And so we are thankful uh, for him doing that and reaching out and speaking to those people. I, I'm just excited and ecstatic about what God's doing in that. And, and I don't know about you all, but it seems like it's really opened up some doors too uh, with just speaking with coworkers and people around who are curious about what we think as Christians in the midst of, of these things. And sometimes they want to draw us into a political argument or draw us into a trap and that sort of thing. And, and I certainly support certain ideas, but you know, ultimately in, in conversations like that, I try to tell people, you know, again, it's not about the politics, but it's about this Bible that we have. It's about Jesus. It's about how much we live for him and not a political party or, or that, that sort of thing. And so I believe that, that God is really going to break through in some of these areas and do so much more than that. Um, but I'm also thankful for people that are unashamed of, of what we believe and the truth that is inside of that um, in Jesus' name. And you, you can look him up. He uh, preached at Youth Congress a few years ago in the midst of a, a stadium, and it was really cool. He was, uh, I believe, either a college or a professional basketball player, um, and he, uh, he, he was removed from that because God said, you're not playing basketball anymore. And uh, at that time, he felt that God told him, I'm going to take you away from this stadium so that I can put you in a stadium later, later on. So he stopped playing basketball in that stadium and that sort of thing. And then um, here it is, Youth Congress. He's able to go back in the stadium and preach to people uh, in the midst of the stadium. So that prophecy came true in his life, and it was just really cool uh, how God can use us uh, in Jesus' name. So 
We give our talents, we give our, uh, ourselves to God. He will use those things to uh, just work in us in mighty ways in Jesus' name. So tonight we are speaking about God of the faithful. And uh, just real quick before we tap into the scripture here, God of the faithful. Um, this, this word here, I, I want to make sure that we're kind of clear on what this means, faithful, the, the word faithful. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about faith and having faith. And, you know, it's great that we, we have faith. We want to have faith. We want to uh, have faith in God and the things that he is doing. But the word faithful um, is going a little bit beyond that. Faithful isn't just talking about having faith, but it's also there's a word of consistency inside of that if you begin to explain uh, faithfulness, that consistency is part of being faithful, that um, we understand faithful means showing up when God has asked us to show up and being consistent with what he has asked us to do. So when we can make it to service, we want to be consistent about being in service. Um, I know that we have had some talk about, you know, who we allow to do certain things on the platform or who we allow to teach certain classes and, and that sort of thing because of certain faithfulness levels. And it's not that we're trying to pick on anybody or say this person's better than this person, but ultimately, if somebody is willing to be faithful to the things of God and say, I, I just want to be faithful to what God has for me. I'm going to be here every time. I'm going to be consistent in the things of God, the things that he has asked me to be consistent in. Then that's the person that we want leading us and teaching us the word of God and the things of God. And so we've always kind of kept that as a part of this church that we desire people um, who are faithful if we're going to lead. I know for me, just to give you an example of this, when I started teaching Bible studies, um, I, you know, there, there was this time that kind of this conflict in my flesh when I was younger about, well, if I pray this much the night before, then I don't have to pray as much the night afterwards. Or if I do something here, it makes up for something later on in the week, so I don't have to worry about it later in the week. And that's not really the way that it works inside of this. When, when God begins to put those foundations or those consistencies in our lives, he's saying, I want you to, to build this, but I don't want you to, to take it down so you can build something else. I want you to keep building upon that foundation. So still being consistent in the things of God, being consistent in Bible reading, consistent in church. And just because I'm in church doesn't mean I don't have to read my Bible for that day or those things there. It's about being faithful. And so that's what we're talking about here tonight when we use this word, God of the faithful, and he wants us to be faithful in many different aspects and who we are, and he will use us if we are willing to be faithful in some of that. So let's look at this scripture here. Thank you, Sister C, for pulling that up for us. In Romans 4 and 13, it says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And we'll continue on. We'll go to verse 17 all the way through there. So for if they which are of the law be heirs... Faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise, might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And last but not least, it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened his deed and calleth those things which be not as though they were. And so I know that there's a lot inside of this scripture, but this is who we're going to use, who we're going to study tonight is Abraham, the father of the faithful, somebody um, who really can teach us in many different senses with this. So it says this at the beginning of this. Can I really do this? 
The question must have echoed in Abram's mind as he slowly made his way home through the wide boulevards and uh, bustling marketplaces of Ur. On one side flowed the mighty Euphrates, wide and strong, with its promise of consistent harvest. No famine would ever strike Ur. And on the other side reared the high walls of the city, patrolled by armed soldiers. No ra uh, raider or invader could threaten a man's life and livelihood here. Could Abram really leave all of this? Could he take Sarai, the, the woman that he loved, and lead her into the dangerous unknown beyond these walls? But then Abraham passed under the shadow of a massive ziggurat, rising in a series of massive steps, and he quickened his pace. There in that huge temple, the priests led the worship of many gods, false gods. Abraham and Sarai's children, if they ever had any, must not grow up in the shadow of such evil. Remembering the Lord's call drowned out the doubts in Abram's mind. He said, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. Abram quickened his pace. He would leave the polytheistic city behind. But where he, or where was God going to lead him? And did he really need to leave his family behind? He had already lost his brother Haran, uh, already lost his brother Haran, cut off far too young. Leaving Ur would mean abandoning the care of his brother's grave, and surely Abram could take his father with him. And Lot, he couldn't leave the son of his dead brother Haran behind. It would be like losing his brother all over again, and surely the Lord would not begrudge him uh, taking his family with him. I'll just have to convince everyone to go with me, Abraham decided, and he squared his shoulders and pushed through the door into their house. So this is the introductory to what Abraham or Abram was inside of this, and I apologize if I get these names mixed up. I know that God changed them at a certain point in this, but Abram and Sarai, um, I, I had to ask Sister C how to say that again because I always get that word mixed up, Sarai, and so I just say Sarah um, because they're one and the same to me. So if I mix those up, I apologize here tonight, and you guys can yell the name out, and maybe it will help implant it in your mind as well in Jesus' name. But these are the two that we're learning about, Abraham, Abram, Sarai, Sarah, uh, both the, the same people. And so God of the faithful. So to skip ahead here, um, sorry, just a second, got to turn the thing on and uh, then it will work. Abram struggled to find the faith to leave his past completely behind. As we read here inside of this story, we see that God was calling Abram to a new nation where he would begin to father the children that would inhabit that nation there. It's a promise that's a huge promise, if you think about it, in this time where such evil is going on. And God came specifically to Abram and told him that if he was willing to leave these things behind, then he was going to go to this nation where he would begin to father all of these people who would begin to dwell there. However, it was hard for Abraham to, even in the midst of his faith, to leave everything behind that he had known. You see, Abraham were to leave his country, Ur of the Chaldees, his children, and his father's house. So that included not only his brother's grave, but it also included his brother's son or, his, or Abraham's nephew, Lot. It included leaving all of that behind and saying, I'm going to leave you in the city and I'm going to step out on what God has called and asked me to do. 
It would be a huge challenge, I think, for any of us, especially if you want to honor your brother or honor his household or honor what uh, you felt that maybe was, was uh, God's plan inside of your life. But, but it would be hard to leave some of those things down. And so no doubt he felt a, a familial duty to his dead brother to care for his son Lot and to keep him going and to keep him moving. But the problem with that is that good intentions will never trump God's instructions. That good intentions, no matter how good we think they are, will never trump God's instructions. So we must always be willing to listen to the instructions of God. The, these instructions inside of this Bible that are before us. We must always be willing to listen to them, but get into the details, search them out, begin to apply them to our hearts. Because even if we are the best and greatest person around in, the, in this world and, and we're, we're saving people from death and all this sort of stuff, even if we're doing all of that sort of stuff with all those good intentions, it does not trump God's instruction inside of the Bible that he is asking people to be baptized in Jesus' name. He's asking us to be faithful like he wanted from Abraham at this particular point. I apologize if it's a little loud in the back there. They are eating some hot things, some very hot things in the youth room tonight, and they, their mouths are going to be on fire, so there may be some yelling, some screaming for the next hour back there, but it's okay. They're fine. They're going to survive. They're going to live in the back there. I don't know if that's a good intention, if that's God's will or what that is back there, but um, it's a bit wild. It was funny that the McAdams' son, uh, he came up to me uh, while I was back there, and he's like, I'm not a boy, I'm a real man, because I can eat this. And I'm like, I'm not going to touch that. And he's like, well, you're not a man, you're a boy. And I'm like, I don't care if I'm a boy, but I am not eating what you all are eating in that youth room tonight in Jesus' name. So they're having fun back there, but I'm thankful for that. But good intentions, they'll never trump what God wants us to do. No matter how great your baptism or your method of baptism is, it's never going to, to trump God's instruction that it has to be in Jesus' name. That, that scripture is clear on that. No matter how, how much you, you think that you've came up with a formula for that, you just will not get around that. And so that's what Abraham is wrestling with inside of, of this particular place. And so we see that eventually... Um, Abraham decides to leave with, with his family and these people here, but he decided to settle a little bit too early before they get to the place that God has called Abram to go to. It's, uh, Terah, his uncle, decided to settle in this place, this place that Abram was not meant to stop at. And so that brings us to our next point here that says this, that Abram stopped his journey too soon at Haran. He stopped his journey too soon at Haran. So let me ask you the first question out of the series tonight, but why do you think Abram stopped in Haran before God told him to? Why do you think Abram stopped a little bit early um, before God actually wanted him to? Does anybody want to answer that? Because he was tired. Yes, I like that answer. <laughs> yeah, he was tired. Anybody else? Yeah. 
Yeah, good point. I'm going to kind of paraphrase that just for the live stream. But yeah, basically that we, we stop too soon because God begins to do something and we think that that's the place where God meant for us to be rather than continuing to the place that God actually wants us to be. So when God starts doing something for us or demonstrating, we don't go beyond that. That's a great answer, I think, that sometimes we, we say, well, maybe you didn't mean that full picture, God. Maybe you just meant this little puzzle piece of it, and I'm, I'm good with that. Somebody else have an answer for that, maybe why Abraham stopped too soon. I, I think that one really covers it as well. But No, uh, Tara, um, is that his uncle? I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. Here, let me, let me read through all this. Patriarch. I do not remember exactly how he is related to that. Um, Sometimes if somebody else has it, we do it too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else is close. Absolutely. I don't know if you remember Pastor Carnahan, how he's related, Tara to Abraham. Yeah, it could be. I, I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but if somebody remembers it, you can shout it out here tonight. It's an open Bible study. So like I said at the beginning, I don't know everything, and I don't expect you all to as well. But the matter of the fact is that Tara convinced Abraham to stop his journey soon before God wanted him to stop a journey. So you all had some, some good answers for that. His dad. Yes, there we go. His father. So his father, somebody who he was asked to leave behind. God said to leave your family behind, leave these lot behind, leave your nephew behind, leave these people. But Abraham, Abram did not want to do that at that particular point. So he decided to take them with him. And we see the result of that. The first result of that is that they stopped too soon before they were meant to stop because these people began to influence Abram at this particular point. And so Abram's progress, it was stalled because he did not have enough faith to strike out on his own and become the leader of his own family. Ultimately, he was struggling with these things and he was struggling with leaving all of these people behind. And part of this could have been an insecurity that if I go out there and wander by myself with just my, my particular family unit, then we may die. We may not make it through this thing. I may not have the ability or the skills to do this without Tara being there, without Lot being there, without these people surrounding me who I am used to having a life and a relationship with. And so God's plan had to temporarily stall because Abraham did not have a faith, enough faith actually at that point to step out on what God was asking him to do. This is related to us in the sense that sometimes in our faith, in our relationship with God, when God asks us to step out in faith, we take too much luggage with us. We begin to take the loss of the past and we begin to think about family troubles and bitterness and hurt that is dwelling inside of our lives and we begin to walk down the path that God has set before us with those things because we are scared that if we leave them behind then it will cause us to be this whole brand new person who may not be who we actually are. I don't know about you all if you have ever faced that fear or if you remember when you first came in the church of having some of those things with you of thinking, man, if I leave some of that stuff behind, then it may not make me who I am. 
Or some people use it in, in kind of a pride sense of, man, if I leave some of that behind, then people aren't going to feel sympathy for me anymore. Or they're not going to have a heart for me. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't for some of those people for a certain amount of time. But sometimes we allow our past to really form and create who we are when God wants us to step out and become something brand new in a creation. When we're baptized again, we come out of that water, a brand new creation in who he is. And he desires for us to leave behind that bitterness and that past and those things that were there. I don't know why we fear so much that sometimes, you know, we have those things of people that we haven't forgiven or some of that. Why we fear so much forgiving them. Why we fear so much having that freedom of forgiving people in certain circumstances. And I'm sure that maybe somebody with um, psychologists or doctor's degrees could maybe explain that a little bit more in the fleshly sense. But sometimes it's hard and difficult to forgive people because we want to see that same pain inflicted that they inflicted on us inflicted on them. And that's not what God wants for us. And so Abram, there was a reason that God asked him and said, leave all of that stuff behind. Leave it in the past. Get away from your family. Get away from these people who have worshipped these foreign and these pagan gods and begin to march a new life. And so we have to be careful that we don't get caught in this place like Abram, halfway between our old life and the life that God has promised us. And we begin to settle and, and begin to put up our camp there and say, God, this looks beautiful here. Why don't we just rest in this particular place? But we must be faithful to God and say, God, you have asked me to do something and I am willing to complete the process all the way through. Again, perfection, like it is spoken about so many different places in the scripture, isn't about being a perfect or a great person, but it's about being complete in the things that God has asked us to be. Kind of another word that can begin to describe somebody who's faithful, somebody who is complete in the things of God, who have not just went a certain distance and said, okay, this is enough, God. But they've said, God, I'm willing to go the full distance into the promised land that you have desired for my life. So God is calling us to press on, and we must not stop halfway through this promise that he has asked us to obtain. So Abram, father of the faithful, somebody who is faithful in some of these things, he struggled with this first issue here. And, and I know that the beginning part of this lesson, probably almost all of this lesson, is going to be talking about Abraham struggling with so many of these different pieces. But I think really what it's going to show us is that to be a faithful person doesn't mean that we have to have some ecstatic amount of faith to see God do something. Scripture says that we just need faith as of the grain of a mustard seed, just something real small and tiny. But what it takes is just having that small amount of faith and being faithful in the things of God, of saying, God, I have this much faith, but I am going to be faithful in knowing that you have consistently done this so you can do it again. You can move in somebody's life again. You can heal again. You can begin to see these things happen. And that's what happened with Abraham, that it, it wasn't that he had just this amazing amount over the top overflowing uh, part of faith, but he had enough faith inside of him to step out and do what God was asking him to do because he wanted to be faithful to the things of God. So I think it's really going to show you tonight that he was just like one of us um, and, and he just walked in the way that God wanted him to walk. And so after that, Abraham finally left this land of Haran, but he took Lot with him. He took Lot with him. So he still left some things behind again, but he still didn't fully listen to what God had asked him to do, of leave those things behind and begin to step out. 
He was still unwilling to break ties completely with his past, still willing to break ties with Lot and somebody who would begin to cause him issues. And we see that God appeared to Abraham when he arrived to this land of Canaan and said, unto your seed will I give you this land. So Abram, even in the midst of making his mistakes and not leaving everything behind that he's supposed to, God is still keeping up his end of the promise. And Abram, when he reaches the place that God wants him to be at, God says, this is it. Abram, that place that you were at was not where you were meant to stay camped. But Abram, this land that you see before you, this is the promise that I was beginning to speak to you. This is the land that your seed is going to begin to grow in. This is the land that that promise is going to begin to take place. So Abram, he built an altar on this place saying, okay, God, if this is the place and I want to make this a significant place, he built an offer, er, an altar and began to make some offerings upon this altar. He pitched his tent between Bethel, which is the house of God, and Ai, which is the heap of ruin. And he was still here in this crossroads in his life. Do I go down this path or do I go down this path? There was still a division that was in the midst of some of these things that were going going on. But it's neat that God, even in the midst of Abram, somewhat messing this thing up that God has asked him to do, you know, changing God's words around, just not really fully doing what God has asked him to do. Even in the midst of that, God is still willing to come into Abram's life and say, Abram, here's the land that I promised to you. Even with him making so many mistakes, God is still willing to hold up his end of the promise to Abram in this particular place. You begin to see why being faithful unto God is so important because we can make mistakes. And I'm not saying that you should go out there and try to make a bunch of mistakes or that you can go out there and live willy-nilly and all that sort of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if God has promised you something, he's promised you joy and peace in your life, he's promised you to be a new man after you come out of that water of baptism, he's, he's promised you all of these gifts. If God has promised you those things, then it doesn't mean that you have to be some perfect person or this patriarch that is so great and carrying around the staff with a crown and a robe and all that sort of stuff. No, that's not what God is saying. But, but the scripture is showing us that you can make mistakes, you can skin your knee along the way, and God is still going to hold up his promises in your life if you are willing to be faithful unto him. If you are willing to be faithful unto his word. That when you make those mistakes, you're still going to say, man, I still got to get back into a place where I can worship God. I'm still going to get back into a place where I can read his word. I'm still going to desire his thoughts and his ways for my life. It begins to show us that if we are faithful, man, faithfulness will take us through so much and so much adversity and so much pain. Those little problems that we make so big will all of a sudden become little again and we'll say, you know what? That was a mess up, but God, I repent. I give it to you and I'm going to keep on walking down this path in Jesus' name. No longer do they attach themselves to us and become this baggage that we're dragging along until we can get the Sunday and finally begin to dismiss it. But man, we can say, you know what? I'm going to be faithful, God, because I know that just that little slip up isn't going to cause such a mess in my life like I think it's going to in Jesus' name. It's incredible when we begin to see how much faithfulness begins to play into our lives in Jesus' name. And so let me ask you this. Maybe somebody can give a brief testimony inside of this. But can you think of the crossroads moment in your life? And how did you decide what to do? Maybe what resulted or 
crossroads moment of, of a decision that you had to make and, and maybe what resulted from that. Does anybody have a particular circumstance that you can think of? Maybe that God directed you or worked through it. Yes, brother. Jesus. Yes. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Prayer and Jesus. Two great guiding factors in that. Anybody else? Have? Yes, brother. So when I first came to the Lord, the Lord spoke to me and told me not to go back to her. But because that's the only thing I knew, I went back to it. And of course, it took every bit of my time. as well. Everybody here knows. Well, he put me, I think it was a definite crossroads of the first this year that said, Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So I went to jail, and the crossroads was uh, going back to bondage or finding that freedom in Jesus' name. That's, that's awesome. And how did you find that right back? Just uh, with just opening, like being open to to truth. You know, really just searching for truth and then finding it. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Anybody else have something they want to add into that there? <laughs> Pointing fingers, calling people out tonight in Jesus' name. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. You have something?
Yeah, reverse gear. Yeah, it, it's incredible, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yes. Amen. Yeah. And that, that'll be the path that God leads us down. And you know, I, I kind of see it sometimes too as uh, a, a couple different paths that maybe lead to the same point. Maybe one of them is straight there. One of them's kind of a big roundabout way, you know, and, and in between these trails, there's kind of some cross trails that sometimes you can jump between one or another. And that's kind of how I picture this sometimes, that sometimes there's this path that God wants us to go down and it's going to maybe be the the, the best path to go down is going to be the one that he really wants us to. And there's other paths that will get us there. Um, but it's going to take us a little bit longer. It's going to be a little bit rougher if we decide to maybe take one of these side trails. So sometimes we just have to, again, just listen to God, be willing to reverse, go, go backwards a little bit. And, and absolutely, God can help us with that. But that's why we must be faithful in Jesus' name. Yes, brother. Yes, that's good. The glamour is not the promise. Glamour is not the promise in Jesus' name. Yes, that's real good. So we see this, that Abraham and Lot, that they finally were going to part ways, and then God eventually is going to renew the promise as a result of this. But Lot, again, after Abram brought him all this way, was never fully committed to God himself in all of this. And we all kind of know the story. We see that when Abram, they were standing there, these two different areas, and, and Lot gets in a scuffle with some of the shepherds. Abram says, I want you to choose which land you want, and whatever you don't want, then that's what I am going to take. And Lot chose the well-watered plains and rich grazing land of Sodom. First, he simply set his tent facing Sodom. And I've heard so many messages preached about this, that Lot had his tent set towards a direction that he should have never had his tent set towards without the promise of God. And then he sat in the gate of Sodom, and finally he was living in a house in Sodom. The Bible says that he grieved his righteous soul day by day with the evil of the city, yet he never moved out. And even when two angels came to save him, only because of Abraham's intercession, Lot barely escaped with his life and his two daughters, and even they were still occupied by Sodom. It's impressive. It's amazing when you begin to think about this and how close we as humans sometimes can tempt God and pressure God and say, man, you know, I'm going to come right up to the line, but I'm not going to cross it because this is the line that's drawn here. It really kind of drives me nuts when people begin to ask that, um, especially when you're in a leadership position or a Bible study of where is that line at? I want to know how close I can get to that line without crossing it. 
So that way I'm still in the will of God. And, and it really kind of drives me nuts because sometimes God, it, it doesn't matter about how close you get to the line, but sometimes God wants you to be so far over here to go this certain direction that he is going to do so much more for your life. But if you want to go right up to that line, you can and still be saved. But we have to be so careful sometimes trying to draw those lines or put God in a box or say, God, well, if this is the line, then I can go right up to it, God, because you said I could go right up to it and still be saved. That's not the way that it works. And Lot was really pushing some buttons in some of these things here. See this in, in the scripture here that in Genesis 3, uh, sorry, 13 verse 14, it says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to your seed forever." And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto you. Ultimately, again, Lot and Abram separated ways. Abram did what God had asked him to finally do, which was separate himself from Lot. And as a result, God began to reveal the promise even more that Abram, this is the land, but I want you to know that everything inside of that land is yours for you to dwell in and for you to have a part in this in Jesus' name. And so despite the renewed and expanded covenant God made with him in Canaan, Abram still struggled to believe God would provide for and protect him. Even in the midst of all this and God doing these incredible things for him and again reminding him over and over and over again that this was the land for him to dwell in, he still struggled with this idea of having this full faith in God in some of these circumstances. You see, famine struck this land and Abram decided to go to Egypt as Sister Carnahan mentioned. At the first sign of trouble in Canaan, he fled to the familiar place that he knew to the land where he knew there would be food, to the place where he could begin to graze with himself. And Egypt was not the promised land, Canaan was, but Abram did not trust God that he would provide for him in this new land, in this area here. It's really quite amazing when you begin to think about it. But not only that, but Abram, when he went into this land of Egypt, he not only did that, but he also lied, saying that Sarai was his sister. That when he was confronted by these people outside the city who said, man, she's a pretty nice looking lady. Who, who is she? We, we desire her. Abram was fearful of what might happen, that this thing may not work out the way that God had told him to. So he lied and said that it was his sister. And Pharaoh comes down and, and this lady is such a beautiful lady that Pharaoh says, man, if that's a sister, then I want to marry her, bring her into my house and, and that sort of thing. Pharaoh begins to make advances towards her and then these, these things begin to happen and God opens his eyes and says, man, this is Abram's wife. You probably shouldn't lay a hand on her. It, it, it's quite impressive what begins to happen there. And ultimately, again, God begins to readdress this and show Abram that you are not meant to be doing things this way that you are doing them. Abram messes up over and over and over again, but it's only because he is faithful that really Abram begins to see what God wants to do inside of his life. So no doubt the devil had hoped to corrupt the righteous line and short-circuit God's plan, but God was still with Abram through all of this. So let me ask you another question here. 
Why do you think God protected Abram and blessed him in Egypt even though he did wrong? Why do you think God protected Abram and blessed him in this nation even though he was doing wrong compared to what God wanted for him? Does anybody have a guess? It's not his plan? Oh, God had a plan. Yes. Amen. Amen. Absolutely God had a plan. God wanted to show that he was always there with him. Amen. Absolutely. He's still making it apparent. He really is through, through all of this. And we see it over and over and over again. But it doesn't end there. A couple more things. That back in Canaan, Abraham went back to the altar that he built in the beginning. But he, he knew. He knew when he messed up, thankfully. Because he was faithful, he knew when he needed to return to some of these places. When we fail, as we will, we need to get back to our first altar, our first commitment, which is God. That thing that we set up in that baptism when we received the gift of the Holy Ghost, that, that place that we set up and said, you know, God, if I completely mess everything up, this is the place that I am going to return to and know that I am solid in it in Jesus' name. That was one of my huge fears about leadership inside of the church. If, God, what if I completely mess something up to where the entire church says that they don't like me anymore? What if I completely just say one thing wrong on accident and, and all of a sudden, the world just comes crumbling around. What, what would happen, God? I don't want to be lost. I don't want to be in a place where I just completely cannot serve you or any of that stuff anymore. And God really began to remind me of this fact here, that that first altar is always the place that you keep. That even if everything else, even if I could never speak again, if I could never preach again, if I could not speak to people or reach people or teach Bible studies ever again, I know that myself, I could take my, myself and my family, if I have one one day, back to that altar, and then that would be a place of salvation where I could begin to stake my, my salvation in Jesus Christ. So that would be a place where I could always return to to see him. I am so thankful for that. You see, Satan sometimes will begin to whisper some of those things to us, that even our flesh, even the world around us, that God will never forgive you, that you are too much of a failure, and why even try to get right with God? He is too righteous, and he will never take you back. But you have to remember that the devil is a liar. And I love that phrase, because so many people say it, and that will get the church hopping quicker than any other phrase that's out there. But put it on your mirror. Begin to remember, devil, he, he's a liar. The devil is a liar. Just begin to think about that in everything that he's telling you. And ultimately, Jesus died for every one of us. While we were yet sinners, he died for every one of us. He saw your sins. He saw your problems. He saw your issues, your failures, the things that you would do and mess up upon. And you can know like Abraham that if you are faithful, you can always return to that first altar to have God bring you to the place that you need to be at in Jesus' name. And so it's incredible when we see this. But continuing on through this lesson, we see that God renewed his covenant with Abram, and he promised to lead him and his descendants. God continued to bless Abraham with these promises that were here. God promised Abram again that he would have a son and a multitude of descendants. And in Genesis 15 and 6, it says this, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. He believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Another word that can begin to kind of be framed into faithfulness. Righteousness. Living the way, the right way. 
living the way that God has asked us to live, living in righteousness, being faithful unto God. Ultimately, it showed that Abram's faith in all of this was the basis for his relationship with God. That it comes down to Abraham knew that God was real, that God was there, that God still had his hand upon his life, even when he was completely messing things up, and that as long as he was faithful, he did not have to worry about all of these worries that were beginning to float around inside of his mind. Yet we see again that his faith was not absolute. It was not something that carried him through every single circumstance, although it should have in some of these here. We see again here that Abraham asked this question in Genesis 15 and 8. That he says, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Just because we believe does not mean that we do not have questions or doubts in the plan of God for our lives. Just because we believe doesn't mean that questions are always going to be answered inside of our lives. I've said it here, but um, you know, so many times at funerals and different places and things like that, we ask the questions of why, why in so many different circumstances. But as one preacher said, he's like, I, I have this question or, or this pocket that is huge. It's full of so many questions that I have for God that he has never answered them. But I still know that I can, be, I can trust in him and I can have faith in him because he will be there no matter what. No matter those questions that we can ask in Jesus' name. And so again in Genesis 15 and 7, it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Abram asked a question, but God wanted to demonstrate to him the answer to his question. He was saying, God, well, how is this going to happen? You've promised this land, but how is it going to happen? First in this, this vision, the first thing, the furnace, it's a place of intense heat where metal is uh, melted, where it's purified, and then heated to be pounded and formed. Abram and his descendants would be tried and tested. God told Abram how they would be afflicted in Egypt for 400 years, and they would face a furnace. But like Job, they could say this. That, sorry, trying to get on the right scripture here. Is it there? Maybe it's not. In Job 23 and 10, it says, When he has tried me, I come forth as gold. When he has tried me, that I am going to come forth as gold. You have to put gold through a furnace in order to purify the infirmities out of it. In order to make it the bright, shining substance that we see, you have to put it through a furnace in order to make it what it needs to be as gold, something that's valuable, something that is actually worth a lot of money. You have to begin to put it through a furnace and, and get those impurities out of it. And not only that, but God showed him a second thing here, that God's word is a lamp unto our, our feet and a light unto our past. Even in times of testing and trial that we have God's, we must know that we have God's promise and that he will never leave us and he will always lead us through those circumstances that we go through. Again, benefits of being people who are faithful to the things of God. 
that his word is a lamp unto our feet, that it's a light that's going to shine down those paths in front of us if we are willing to be faithful. I think this word faithful is the reason why so many people get so frustrated with the things of God, that if you only come to one service a month or if you're only in a prayer meeting for one time a month, it would get incredibly frustrating because you'd begin to see the riches and the greatness and the incredible things of God, and then you return saying, man, God, you're going to do all this for me, and then soon it would begin to fade into different pieces and all, all this sort of stuff. And you'd be like, man, this is disappointing. Like God didn't keep his promise to keep me going through some of this stuff. But it's not a God issue. It's a faithful issue. It's a faithfulness issue that is inside of our hearts. It's really the reason why so many can begin to struggle with the things of God. And I'm not trying to be mean here or belittling or, or any of that, but this encourages me to say, God, man, I got to get more faithful in some of the things that I do. I need to get more consistent in some of the stuff because if you are this consistent in, in just the little amount that I do now, man, what could happen if I begin to take steps beyond that or begin to grow farther beyond? on that and say, God, I want to be more faithful to you than just on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night in these circumstances. God, I desire to be faithful in some of these places here. If you can do it for Abraham, man, God, then you can absolutely begin to do it for me in Jesus' name. It's really like buying insurance in a lot of circumstances so that when you do stumble, when you do fall, again, those things don't have to explode and be something big inside of your life, but you can say, God, yeah, all these times I'm still here, God. I'm still believing. I'm still trusting. I'm still having faith in what you will do through this in Jesus' name. And so it's incredible with that. And so Let's see here. Genesis 15 and 18. It says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given you this land, and from the river of Egypt into the great river of Euphrates. And so Abram struggled to believe this promise of this child that was going to come. And again, I think we know the story, the circumstances that revolved around it. But he remained faithful for 11 years where he was trusting that God would give him this child. Eleven years after leaving Haran, however, Abram and Sarai hatched a backup plan. That if God's not going to do this, then it must mean that we need to do it. And so Abram grabs Sarai's servant and has a child with her. But this is not God's plan. It is not the promise that God has given to them. And, and for some of us, I mean, man, eleven years, that's a long time. But to, say, but, but, but to push through and, and try to make God's promise or form God's promise in our lives is a mistake. It can be challenging. It can be tough, but we must not do that. So Abram again messes up. You see mess up after mess up. All these things, these places where he did not trust or have enough faith to see the things of God through, but yet God is still faithful to Abram in these circumstances. And so God renewed his promise of a miracle child, but they still doubted God again tells him these things. In Genesis 17 and 15, it says this, And God said unto Abram, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and give you a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nation. Kings of people shall be of her. Again, God's emphasizing this point that I'm going to change your name. I'm going to show you that this will happen. And we would expect that Abraham would be thrilled at this renewal of this promise that, yeah, you know, I made a mistake, but thank you, God, for renewing this promise. However, does anybody remember what Abraham did to this? This new promise, by chance? He laughed. He laughed at this. God, I, I completely messed up, and thank you for telling me this again, but 
you know, we, we had a plan and we thought it was a good plan because, man, this just isn't working out between my wife and I'd have this promised child that you said we're going to have. He laughed. And not only that, but God still insisted, Abram, you're going to have a child. Even after Abraham laughs in his face. And not long after that, God arrived at Abraham's tent with two angels in human form and again affirmed that this would happen. And what does Sarah do? She laughs. The same thing again. You have two angels there with God's presence telling you that this is going to happen. And Sarah laughs at it. And God confronts her and says, Sarah, why are you laughing at this? I'm telling you this promise is here. And so what does she say? She says, oh, no, no, God, I, I didn't laugh. That wasn't me. That was the goat out back. That, that, that wasn't me, God. I mean, it really shows how foolish some of these laughs are. But Sarah lied to God's face, denying this promise yet again. And God just stated the simple truth. No, you did laugh, but God did not punish or reject them because of their unbelief in the circumstance. And God asked a simple, powerful question. He said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Even today, whether we have faith in God really boils down to that simple question. Is anything too hard for the Lord in these circumstances? Is anything too hard? I know that sometimes it's easy to sit back and, and smirk at these things and laugh at these things, these promises that God has given and all that sort of stuff. But man, we must still remember that even in the midst of that, God is still willing to come down and have a conversation with us and say, yeah, what, what you're laughing at, I have a promise that is so much better than that. God will still confirm that. He will still work through that. Again, another benefit. If you are a faithful Christian living for God, another benefit of that. I'm not saying that you should laugh in God's face all the time because, man, that, that would not be a good idea. It, it definitely would not be a good idea. But, man, if you happen to mess up at a particular chance, again, it, it's just like that insurance or those things and saying, God, I'm sorry, I messed this thing up. Even with lying, laughing in his face, God was still willing to do that for his people. And so finally, at 100 years old and 90 years old respectively, Abram and Sarah, they, they begot Isaac, or they bore Isaac. Abraham and Sarah named their son Isaac, which meant laughter. And once God's promises had made them laugh in disbelief, but now the fulfillment made them laugh with joy believing that maybe, just maybe, God is going to do what he has promised to us throughout all of this time. All of this time, what he was doing. It's incredible to see this. So scripture teaches us this about Abram. That being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. And when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that when he, what, what he had promised, he was also able to perform. I hope that through all of this, maybe it's giving you a better of, a, a idea of what faith and faithfulness truly means. 
of what faith and faithfulness truly is inside of our lives, that it's not being exactly right every second and of every day of having every single question and, and that sort of thing answered inside of your life. It's not having everything just looking like it's going well and, and all of that sort of stuff. That is not what faithfulness or faith is inside of this life. But faith is like Abraham, being faithful to God, taking those steps. And even when things, when you mess things up or when you question something or something doesn't seem exactly right, still saying, I know that God is still on the throne. I know that he is still alive and he is still there and well. I've had people ask me this, and I don't know why I'm thinking of this just right now, but people ask me about what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Ghost? And, and what does it mean for somebody to, to, to do that sin that cannot be forgiven? There's a lot of people who fear maybe that they have forget or, or have brought themselves into that place. And to me, just a real ship, simple um, answer to that, I, I don't have time to go into everything on this, a full Bible study of it, but just a real simple answer is somebody who has known, somebody who has experienced these things of God, somebody who is around all of these things, and they walk away from it, and they begin to convince and tell other people that it is not real, it does not have any place, there is no authority, there is nothing inside of that, completely denying everything that they have ever known about this. Somebody who has been in the depths of it, but yet completely pushes others away from those things there. And so this reminds me of this fact that there's some people who have walked away from this, but they still say there's still power inside of what those people believe. There's still truth inside of that. There's still a God out here, even though I don't believe it, even though, I, well, not necessarily that, but even though I'm not serving that way, even though I'm not living that way, there's still a God that's inside of that church. There's still a God that those people serve. Those people there's still a God that wants to reach them. There's still a God that wants to touch them. There's still something that God wants to do inside of their lives. Again, it's Abraham walking in these places, messed some things up terribly wrong, but because he was faithful, he was able to step through to where God needed him to be. And so God did not consider Abraham weak in faith, but he considered him strong. In fact, Scripture calls him the father of the faithful. And so if we think about this, if I would have just brought you all those different scenarios, I'm sure you could have guessed probably who it was from the story, but if I would have pre presented you that story, many of us probably would have said, man, that guy doesn't have faith. He's not that strong of a person. He's not that, that great of a Christian. He's not that great of a person serving God. But yet God here is saying that he is somebody who is strong in faith. How powerful is that I again want to clarify I'm not giving excuses to, to, to go out there and mess things up but if we are faithful in wanting to take those steps and walking in the right direction then God will be faithful unto us as well in Jesus name so Abraham was human and he failed at least seven times that we can see in scripture yet God was still willing to be there for him and in Proverbs 24 and 16, maybe this relates to Abraham, I don't know. But it says, for a just man falleth seven times, and he rises up again, because the wicked shall fall into mischief. But a just man falls seven times, and he gets up again. It's faithfulness. It's a God who is of the faithful people. A God who is not here to condemn, but a God who is a God to be a God of the faithful in Jesus' name. 
It shows that I want to buy stock in this. I want to be involved in the kingdom of God. I want to be involved in who he is because it avoids that destruction and those things that are there that, that could trip me up and cause me to walk away from this for the rest of my life. But man, the faithfulness of God, having that faithfulness of God in Jesus' name. It's absolutely incredible in Jesus' name. Pastor, do you have anything to add to that before I read this last bit? Absolutely. We must die out to some things before faithfulness can really begin to work in our lives. In Jesus' name. I'm going to finish by reading this last bit of this story. In Jesus' name. It says, Can I really do this? Lost in troubled thought, Abraham could hardly focus on the rocky path ahead, leading toward the distant peak of Mount Moriah. Leaving Ur was one thing, but how could God ask this of me? It made no sense. And Isaac was the promised child. He was the one that they had waited so long. He was their laughter in their old age. And what would Sarah say when Abraham returned without their son? The thought was almost enough to break him. But no, Isaac was the promised child. The Lord's words echoed in, uh, back to Abraham. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Abraham felt a sudden surge of hope. Was it possible that God could raise the dead? Well, of course he could. Hadn't God asked them once, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer was a clearly resounding no. If Abraham did offer Isaac, God would have to raise him from the dead. Faith swelled in Abraham and he quickened his steps. There was nearing of the foot of the mountain and he turned to his servants. Abide ye here, he said. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. And even as he spoke these words, someone he knew, or somehow he knew it was true. Even if God had to raise Isaac from the dead, they would both return from the mountain. Abraham and Isaac began to climb. Abraham's heart began beating faster, and not because of the steep path. What was Isaac saying? Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? What could Abraham tell his son? How could he tell Isaac that today Isaac was the sacrifice? And still Abraham was clinging to his faith. My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Where did that come from? Abraham thought. Yet it had a ring of deep truth to it. A prophetic ring. They had reached the top of the mountain and Abraham began stacking stones to build an altar. He laid the wood in order. Then he turned to Isaac. There was a light of realization in Isaac's eyes. There was fear there, but also resignation and courage. Isaac held out his hands, wrists together to be bound. And with Isaac laying back on the wood, Abraham drew his, out his knife. His heart was hammering. God will raise him, he thought. Surely God will raise him. Abraham tensed to bring down the blade. Abraham, Abraham, the angel of the Lord's voice boomed out from heaven. And Abraham froze. He said, here I am. The words came out as a gasp. Lay not thine hand upon this lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For, thou, or for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. 
Sudden tears of relief filled Abraham's eyes. He lowered the knife, cut the bonds from his son, and they hugged each other tightly. Then Abraham saw behind him the whole time a ram caught in the thicket by its horns, and God truly had provided a substitutionary service or sacrifice, and Abraham offered it in the place of his son. Again, he was faithful, and God provided in Jesus' name. If you all want to stand tonight, I believe that God has encouraged us in some of these things here. I believe that he has showed us the benefit of being faithful to him, of being consistent in this place, in Jesus' name. And so I, I think we all can take steps and gain closer to God in that place. So let's just make that commitment here for a minute or so tonight in Jesus' name. God, again, we are so thankful for this word, God, and the examples that you have given to us inside of your scripture, Jesus. We believe that tonight, Lord. We believe that we are faithful unto you, God, that you will honor your promises in our lives. God, we desire that on a daily basis to take steps that draw us closer to you every day, God, that we do not take steps that turn us away, God, or that cause us to walk down a path that takes us forever to get to where you need us to be. But Jesus, tonight you are desiring to have us in that better place, God, in the midst of your promises, God. And I believe that, Jesus, that as these people become more faithful unto you, that you will show and reveal your promises unto them, just as you have done for Abraham. And God, we are thankful for that, God. We are thankful for the truth and the word that you have given to reveal all of those to us. And Jesus, we believe that in you tonight, Jesus, that we will be encouraged and take steps forward through you in Jesus' name. God, I thank you and I give you praise, Lord, for what you have done tonight and in these lessons, Jesus. And we believe that through you, God, that strength will happen. Yes, Lord, we give you the praise, God. And we thank you and we exalt you, Jesus, high above all else.